All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. If you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you are leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'll be a burden to someone or you don't feel like you should weigh that, put that weight on your inner circle, call the hotline at 988 and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. It's the underscore Misfit Nation. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, our great guests. In An Enemy Like Me, I use the backdrop of World War II to show the angst experienced by Jacob, his wife, and his four-year-old son as he leaves for and fights in a war he did not create. I explore the concepts of xenophobia, intrafamily dynamics, and the recognition that war is not won and lost by nations, but by ordinary men and women and the families who support them. Buy your copy today on Amazon. All right, welcome to the show, Terry M. Brown. Welcome back to the show, I should say. It's like a reunion here. You're just on, I think, in February or January. We had you on mm-hmm. for sun, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, and it kind of coincided with world events at that time. So it was a it was a much needed uh, time to talk to you about that uh, subject because it was uh, on the subject of Ukraine. And now we're on uh, your next subject, your next book. We've just seen the trailer for and I know you're excited. It's your new baby coming out yeah, here <laughs> in uh, just over a month now, so a month and a half, I guess ish uh, january it'll come out and uh i'm excited for you terry tell us what you've been up to i know it you've been up to making this book and making it right and getting it ready to come out so tell us how you're doing yeah no things are going pretty good um my life took a little bit of a turn in uh during the summer my husband was diagnosed with brain cancer which has been a little bit of a scary journey as we kind of go through all of that um Um, I don't know if you remember, but my husband is a 25-year Marine vet, and um, we're pretty confident that this brain cancer probably came from some of his exposure, Camp Lejeune, Turkey, a few other places. Um, So we're kind of working on that whole aspect of it as well in terms of, you know, trying to make sure that he gets all of the, the care that he's supposed to be getting you know, through the government. So that's been one of the things that's kept me busy. And then I got my new book coming out and I've been writing my third book and, um, you know, then doing normal life, grandparenting and, you know, all the other things that are going on. But yeah, life's been pretty good. 
Um, I'm sorry to hear about your husband's diagnosis, but I can almost guarantee it's from Camp Lejeune since uh, everyone seems to, yeah, all, all arrows seem to point there right now. And uh, with the PACT Act, hopefully he's able to uh, get the care he needs and get taken care of so you have him a little longer and uh, be able to yeah. share time and share the journey of the, your new book with him. with the enemy Exactly. Life. And I'm sure you're excited. He's probably excited. He just, he just can't jump in, up and down as much right now. <laughs> that, that's true. And he, he keeps pushing me. You know, there'll be times where I'll say, you know, are you sure you want me to do this? Like I could, I could just sit in here. And he's like, no, this is what I want you to be doing. And so he's, you know, definitely my biggest advocate, always pushing me out there and, and making sure that I keep moving forward with my writing. So. That's how it's always outstanding to have the the cheerleader in your corner and the, the support behind you to help you, uh, do the passion that you love the most. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I perused through the books and she sent me a copy of it. Uh, and uh, I like how you broke it down by character. And it was easy for me to follow that way. It's e if it's easy for me to follow, anyone can follow it. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that you, in the beginning, you uh, thanked your, your grandfather who, who actually fought in World War II. And that, that's an uh, amazing thing as well to have that uh, link historically, just like you had in your first book, you had a historical link right. there. So right. you, you keep the historical link. And I, I like that, that about your style. And, Thanks for keeping it going. Yeah. So it's interesting. The The reason that this idea came to me in the first place was my family, we're German-American. My maiden name was Buffmeyer. I mean, that's a very German name. And, and I grew up in Ohio uh, in a very Germanic area. But my, um, I mean, I think my relatives came over in the 1700s. So although German-American, very American-American by the time World War two came along. Um, my grandfather fought in World War II in Germany and didn't really talk a whole lot about the war, um, something that wasn't done much at all during his generation. Um, the things that he did tell me were after the war, when he was still in Germany, couldn't yet get home, but the, the war part was over. I heard a lot of those stories, but never really a lot about the war itself. Um, but one time I was a teenager, 15, 16 years old, and he must have been feeling really reflective. Uh, and he said to me, I always wondered if the person on the other end of my gun was a cousin. Wow. And that stuck with me all these years. And when I started, you know, coming up with ideas for another book, that was the one that just kept coming back over and over. You know, like, how do you navigate that idea of like, what exactly is an enemy? And how do you make someone an enemy? And what do you do if that enemy is more like you? You know, uh, so in the story, I have him thinking that he's going to go fight the Japanese. And in his mind, that's an easier target. He he knows that they have bombed Pearl Harbor. They look different than him. They have different customs than he has. That's an enemy that he feels like he can really get behind. And then he finds that he's going to Germany. And, you know, that's the kind of the angst mark there is is recognizing. And of course, so I put him as a first generation German American so that it would be a whole lot more, you know, Ugh, in the chest kind of thing, because <laughs> that's the way authors get to do. Right. Um, you know, really make the point. But, you know, I liked that idea. He He comes to this recognition that he really is more like the enemy than different than the enemy. Yet if he doesn't shoot the enemy, then he doesn't come home. And he has a wife and a family. And right. he wants to come home. And so he has to reconcile all of that in his own head. And so that's kind of what this book explores. And 
my hope is that it also helps people think for themselves about what makes your enemies and is it necessary because in war it's necessary you ha- you know if you don't if you don't have that as your enemy then how do you fight how do you get back home but right. is it necessary for people like me living my everyday life in Calabash North Carolina <laughs> do i need enemies is it something that is good for me and right. you know to me the answer is no you know um we're we're more like people than we are different from them you know and in any group that that you might have in your hate category or dislike or distrust or any other category that may be true of a group but not necessarily of individuals and so if you get to know individuals then you can start tempering some of those feelings that you have so that's kind of where this book is going definitely and uh, i mean him being having the german descent and having to fight his own basically his own uh, countrymen exactly as he went through there that, that's hard enough uh, for the soldiers that were in afghanistan and iraq you never know who was your enemy there but at least you knew they didn't look like you exactly didn't, exactly uh, didn't actually look exactly like you. some places in like afghanistan northern afghanistan you had a lot of the mix of the russians that were up there for so long they made some offspring so they kind of looked like us a little bit but not a lot and it's a uh, it's a big difference when you fight almost fighting your brother kind of like civil war times i guess yes then going to world war ii and you're now an american going to fight your own countrymen that's got to be hor- horrific for anybody yeah and and for him to have said that to me i think that that shows that there was a lot of even angst in himself despite the 200 years between his family coming and him going there he recognized where his roots were from you know right. i mean we're very germanic there's no doubt about it you can't have a name like buffmeyer and not be germanic and you can't grow up in the canton ohio area and not know your german roots because you know the foods that we ate i mean you know sauerkraut was like something that we had twice a month and nobody eats sauerkraut in the south you know and yeah. those kinds of things that really helped you remember who you were from way back and you know for him to have said that to me i think was just something that like i said it really stuck with me and i thought i took a lot of his stories a lot of our family stories and you know i use a lot of license so i change things you know tremendously but i i changed them in a way that would make people feel it more in their heart it's harder to feel well yeah so your ancestors 300 years ago were german that that's not very dramatic but if your parents were german and spoke german in your home and the foods that you ate were german and the relatives that you had were german and now you're fighting in germany that makes it a, a little more um yeah good for a reader <laughs> a little more realistic too yeah like yeah your upbringing like you said you you were even where you grew up it was a almost like little germany <laughs> yes it was and and it's interesting so i brought in some facts in this book that were very um i mean that are true like my grandfather was born in the town of new berlin and new berlin changed its name to north canton after world war one. Oh wow okay because no one wanted to live in new berlin obviously <laughs> you know that it was not a good it was not good um he was born Buffenmeyer and changed it to Buffmeyer because Buffmeyer sounded less German. The Buffenmeyer was more 
Germanic in his mind. And so he he dropped some of that and started using it as Buffmeyer. So there's a lot of things that in the story I talk about those kinds of things where people were changing their names, changing the names of their stores, changing um, the names of their churches and things to be less German. And so. I'm sure that was hard. You had the Germans have German Americans have to do that, and then the Japanese Americans on exactly. the west coast also going through the same exact battle there. Exactly. But, except a, they were locked up. So ex well, and you know the thing is though is that a lot of people don't know it, but there were German American camps as well. Wow, see, I didn't know that. See, yeah. a lot of people. I'm one of a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, so they were not nearly as uh, prolific. It was harder to lock people up that were of German descent. First of all, they look like everyone else in, you know, their areas in which they live. There wasn't like a big significant difference. Whereas, whereas the Asian Americans immediately people would look and say, well, why are they still out walking around? Right. Um, but anyone that they felt had a tie to the tie to Germany, a direct tie, like they're obviously still writing letters back and forth to family and those kind of things were suspect and could be thrown into um, a camp. So, wow. So, yeah. yeah. That's something that's not actually advertised ever. No. I mean, no. you can go to many bases uh, along the South, especially Fort McClellan. There's a German POW uh, uh, cemetery there, German right. and Italian POW cemetery there. Uh, at right here at Fort Campbell, there's a German POW uh, cemetery mm -hmm. here that it's, it's nestled in the woods. It's well taken care of by the German community here to make sure that their legacy is always, is always thought of uh, and not just forgotten that they're there. So, I mean, it's a strong, uh, I guess, the culture. The culture yes. is very, very strong. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it was just a very is good. Yeah, yeah, it was a very interesting book for me to write. I think because for me, there's there's some truth to it. You know, it's not it's not a true story, but right. it, there is truth to it, and um, that's what one of the things that I really love about historical fiction is that with historical fiction, you can bring in some truth. You right. know, things that really happened so that people can become more aware of the things that happened. You know, what really happened in World War II. Like you said, you didn't even realize that German Americans were rounded up and they were. And yeah. so this story brings that forth, which is something that um, I got a one of the uh, editorial reviews that I got brought that up, that there are very few books that bring that out. And yeah. so, you know, made me feel good that I, you know, found this this piece that that I think it's important for people to understand that that when we have this kind of fear and hatred, we will do crazy things to make ourselves feel safe. Yes. You know, like and there's also not a lot of history books that ever mention that stuff at all. It's exactly it's Japanese internment camps. And then that's it, really. So, Right. And I think that, you know, it's good for us to, to recognize the the what fear and and hate and what that does to a person. And what that does to a community and what they can do to a nation, you know, to kind of really think about that. You know, um, I, by all means, I am, I am very pro-military. I don't mean that in any way, because when the military need to fight, they need to fight. And I want them out there doing that. But we also need to make sure that we don't bring back some of that into our homes and into our communities. You know, when you're not having to fight that there really isn't any reason to have that kind of hatred. You know, we need to learn, we need to learn where it belongs and exactly. where it doesn't, you know? Yeah. And then, and then, like I said, we need to start looking at, you know, like, like what actually makes an enemy, 
you know, for, for Jacob, he thought he knew what the enemy was. And then he was, you know, kind of like, I'm in Germany now. And he's walking through this German town and he sees people, hears their language. He knows what they're saying. He's, he feels very at home and he recognizes they're afraid of him. All of a sudden they're afraid of it, their own person, really. And they don't know, and, they don't and, know who he is though. So. Right. I mean, he's in an American uniform, so they're afraid of him. And he, that's when he kind of has that, oh my goodness, look at this. Look at what I'm in here. This is crazy. You know, I came to fight to prove that I'm American, but I'm here and I'm fighting and I, I'm what disproving my heritage. Right. Like, you know, and so that's why the, the trailer has the, you know, what do you do when, when your, your love for your family and your love for your country and your love for your heritage are at odds. Right. And that goes with the title an enemy like me. So right. It, it like, it fits perfectly. And for him to have to go through that, it, it, it's a, it's a journey for him and his family at the same time, knowing that they thought he was going to go to Japan as well. Right. <laughs> right. To the, to the Pacific. And then. Right. Uh, there he is back home fighting back and, home. Uh, and uh, yeah. And of course I make it even more poignant by having him, you know, march through an area where he knows his ancestors used to live, you know, so that's um, and what's interesting though, is, is that I make it more poignant that way, but it is true. My grandfather did march through areas that he knows that family came from. So, oh, wow. you know, so it really is, you know, there's a lot of truth. Like I said, there's a lot of truth. I stretched it. You know, I rearranged it to make it fit my story, but you know, there's a lot of truth in there. So I think that's what, when you can find some truth and then write a story around it, I think that really brings out the feelings and helps people really experience the book with you. It definitely does. And it, it lures them in. Like I said, it was easy to follow the way you have it broken down. It's very easy. Uh, it's, it's like the kiss and the kiss uh, principle. Keep yeah. It <laughs> I won't say the last word, but uh, <laughs> keep it simple for us. And uh, it's good for me. And that, that's kind of how I'm writing my my second book as well, trying to keep it as simple as possible. The titles are, of each chapter are simple. So, oh, this is what's happening now. I know what's going to go on or I right. know what the main portion of this is and why it's happening. That way you're not trying to guess by some random title that some authors do and try to throw you off. I don't know why, but they do. Or they just throw me off maybe. But <laughs> Well, I, I think that sometimes people are trying to be, you know, um, edgy or catchy yeah. or whatever. I have a real hard time with chapter titles. I don't know if you noticed, but all of my chapter titles are the person that we're talking about right now yeah. <laughs> and the date. Right. The you date. Know, so like yeah. if we're in spring of 42, I want you to know that. And right now we're dealing with Bonnie. That's who we're going to mostly be talking about in this chapter. We're seeing life from her perspective and this is the time period you're in. Right. Next chapter, oh, we're back to William. And just so you know, we see William now as an adult looking back as well as as a child. So this is him looking back, you know, and it kind of gives you, I just feel like it's easier, especially because I have the three main characters and then I have the dual timeline. So we're both in World War II and we're current looking back. Right. And I want to be sure that my readers have full understanding of where we are. I don't want them to be reading and going, 
I don't know where I am. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, where are we? So (laughs) it's always fun when you're reading and you think that you read everything. Then the next chapter, you're totally lost. You have to go back to the last. You have to go back. Yeah. Happened and yeah. Oh man, I just wasted two hours of my life again. (laughs) Yeah. So that that happens to me usually for two reasons. I've either really like tired. And now I'm just reading words and I'm not processing anymore. Or I tend to, I have a really hard time when I'm reading an author who loves to get really detailed. So maybe they spend three pages talking about the, you know, the flowers out on the trees and in the garden. Well, I tend to go, hmm, until I get back to the people. And inevitably there was something in that little section that I skimmed that I was supposed to have caught and I didn't. Yes. And now I get to the next chapter and it's like, Oh, there was something back in there. And then I have to go back and read all of that again so that I can figure out what did I skim over? So <laughs> kind of like the old telephones, you got to dial and then if you mess up all the way back again, yeah. <laughs> the whole process over next thing you know, you're back in chapter one, trying to figure out what just happened. <laughs> you're, all, you're already at the end of the book so exactly. it's, it's not always fun doing that but like you said sometimes skimming does uh does rip you off in the in the knowledge of the book that is true that is true so i know this baby comes out in january i think 23rd ish 24th january 24th uh yeah it's on pre-order now so people can go ahead and order it on amazon if they want to get it early um I'm really, I'm just really excited about having it come out. I'm so much better prepared this time. When I had Sunflowers Beneath the Snow come out, I mean, I was super excited. Like that book to me was just the thought that I was actually getting my book out in front right. of people. And, and But I didn't understand anything about marketing at all. Zero. Right. right? And so I put my book out on Amazon and said, have at it. <laughs> and nobody knew it was there. And right. I didn't understand. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to start doing things. And I met you shortly after that. That's you had me on your show. And, and I started getting on other podcasts and, you know, realizing that the only way people are going to know about my books is if I talk about them. Right. Um, you know, I'm not famous yet. Yet. Notice I said yet. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, people don't know who I am. I was a debut author less than a year ago. And, you know, I've got my second book coming out. And so, yeah, I have a few people now that kind of like, oh, yeah, she has another book coming. But most people still don't know who I am. And so, yeah, I got to kind of get out there and and talk and, and you know, chat up the book and let them know what's happening and, and you know, why they would want to read this one. You know, why another World War II book? Um, yeah, that's another. And, yeah, because you know, World War II. There's a lot of World War II fanatics in terms yes. of historical fiction, and they love reading them. But there are a lot of people that roll their eyes, like, "Oh gosh, not another World War II historical fiction." But I think the difference with this one is there's a lot of differences. One is that we see the same story from three perspectives. Right. You know, we see it from the soldier's perspective. We see it from his wife who's left, you know, behind, we see it from his four-year-old son's perspective. And that was actually one of my favorite characters to write, because how often do you get the chance to write from the perspective of a four-year-old, Right. you know, and have it make sense, you know, like have it so that it's a valuable opinion. And so that was really cool to be able to do that. And then I actually then did a fourth same person, the four-year-old, but as an adult. 
And now he's reflecting back, looking at like, what was that that was going on? I remember those things, but he remembered them from the four-year-old's perspective. And now you see him kind of bringing it all together in his life and, and finding all the right places to put all of those feelings that he experienced as a child and didn't ever really fully put to rest until much later in his life. So. And uh, on the marketing thing, uh, you you had you on here for my book, by to your book. I mean, when I released my book not long before yours, I didn't market it until probably this summer. So <laughs> right, <laughs> I was helping everyone else and doing everything else. And then finally I had someone on here that said, you need to, get on shows and talk about you. Right. That's, right. That's, that's it's, a, <laughs> it's a really, it's a, um, it's different. It was a little frightening at first because, you know, I like my book, but right. you know, is it really good enough to get on and talk to people about? And I can now say, yes, it is. Yes. See? It's a good book. And I believe this one is as good and yes, it's worth reading, but it takes a little while to come to that that feeling that, okay, what I've got here is, is worthwhile. It's a, it's a real product. It's something that people really, if you're a reader, if you like historical fiction, then you're going to like these, these books. And this is something you ought to pick up. And to be able to say that without going, well, this is a good book, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a leap from, from I've written this book to, I've written a really good book and you ought to, you know, consider reading it. You know, it's a, it's a different feeling. So. And a lot of authors uh, have a, a syndrome where they can write, they can write beautiful stuff, but they don't like to talk and right. they don't like to speak about it. So that's even harder to market yourself or market your baby like you are. And this is your second child. So yeah. <laughs> second book yeah. child. and having to market both of them and not, you don't feel like you're sliding the first one to get the second one out and you're getting everyone to go to your website to look at Terry Brown, the author. And then of course your Amazon author page as well to get, get the likes and the follows and stuff there. So yeah. people will find all your books when, as they come out, Oh, I'm going to get that now. I'm going to get that now and I'll pre-order it so to get them to do that is it's a lot harder than it looks from the outside looking in. It really is. It's, and it's like having two different jobs. Right. You know, I'm an author and I'm a marketer and they're not the same. Right. You know, you have to, you have to be able to like take off the author hat and put on the marketer hat and remember <laughs> that this is what you're doing next. I've just kind of come to the conclusion for me that I know that I believe in my book more than anyone else will. There you go. There right. isn't anyone else who's ever going to believe in it more than me. And so if I can't get out and talk about it and tell people about it, no one else is going to be able to. And exactly. so I just have kind of learned to say, well, this is fun. Let's get out there and do this. <laughs> you have to be your biggest cheerleader at that time. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially as a new author, basically only one year in, uh, two books out now, or one book. One and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming out here soon. Uh, An Enemy Like Me is coming out here soon in January. But when you're that young, that new in the author world, there's so many big name authors out there that have a powerful backing behind them, be just, not just their publishing company, but the marketing company behind them. That exactly. All this stuff that you're doing for yourself for them. So yeah, they're going to get out there and everything's going to wind up great for them, but you have to do all that same stuff on your own until you become. Right. And, and until you become person. the next big thing, you know? And right. so like Oprah, if you're listening, here I am. Um, <laughs> everyone's seat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been an interesting 
an interesting ride. I feel like I'm kind of understanding what needs to be done. I've got, I've still got a lot to learn. I'm not saying that I've learned it all, but I, I feel like I'm in the right path now. And I know what I'm supposed to be doing with this book. And I know kind of how I'm supposed to be getting it out there and getting people to understand that it's available. And um, it, it makes me really excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when this one actually launches. You know, we're still in this pre-launch phase. And so everything I'm doing, I can't, I can't look and see if it's working. Right. Because the book's not even for sale yet. Like Amazon still has it as pre-order. And that's all I know. You right. know, and so it's a little, it's a little nerve wracking. It's like, gosh, I hope I'm doing it right. <laughs> you can't see any data points until it no. actually starts happening. So right. hopefully right. all this is working. It'll work. And uh, I know we'll, this will be out again just after the book releases. Uh, so everyone should be able to already have the book in their hand when you're watching it or listening and watching this the second time. Fantastic. Fantastic. So another question. Uh, I'm sure that you already started book three. I have. What will that one be about? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm writing this one is, um, it's about a healer, uh, 1890s. She lives in the mountains of North Carolina. I want to pull in a lot of the, like, folk medicine, um, some of the Cherokee Indian medicine, because the there was a part of the Cherokee tribe during the Trail of Tears did not leave North Carolina and is still in North Carolina. We have a small tribe there. Um, and so I have this woman, Maggie, interacting with the medicine man and uh, learning some of the things that, that he knows and using them. And uh, I'm looking at, you know, some of the, I guess the big idea behind this book is just the idea that, you know, you've got the modern medicine that was coming in at that time. And it was like bumping up against the folklore and the folk medicine and the, the people who knew how to heal using, you know, herbs and, and, dandelions and and you know teas and things and it's what they had always done and then in comes modern medicine which you know at that time wasn't very modern but it was more modern than dandelions you know and so they were like bumping up against each other and as a people we have this tendency that something new comes in and we throw the old out the door all of it right and then later we recognize that there were some good things in what we threw out and we start bringing it back, you know? And so that's, we're kind of looking at that here where she's a healer. Her daughter is a, a nurse who's gone to, you know, a school to be a nurse and she and her mom do not see eye to eye on healing and, and, you know, how, is there any value in what her mother does, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of there. I'm I'm about two thirds of the way done writing it. I have no idea how it's going to end yet. So you know, <laughs> we'll see. My characters tell me as I go. You know, I just kind of write, and it's like, oh, this is where it's going. Isn't this great? So, but yeah, I've got about fifty, a little over fifty thousand words written so oh. far of that one. So, good job there, and uh, we look forward. I'm sure it'll be out about the same time next year. Yeah, I'm figuring I'll put it out probably I, I would love to write a book a year. Yeah. Um, I know some authors do so much faster and I just have so much other life that I do too. You yes. know, there's things that I enjoy and I love going out on the beach and walking and playing with my grandkids and I play bridge and I ride bikes with my husband. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to give all of that up to just write, but on the other hand, I really do want to be an author. So I figure about once, once, once a year is probably what I'll be able to get out. At least for now. 
that should be good enough for now until that becomes your your only thing you're doing. So yes, yes, yeah. So you know, you know, if I ever get as famous as like a James Patterson who puts out three a year, you know, that's okay. I'll do that. But you know. <laughs> and have co-writers with you, yeah. <laughs> Every person wanting to come write with you, and that that that'll be a great day for you. Yeah, yeah, that would be. I mean, I I feel like I have a. a good writing style. And I think that the people who like to read character-driven fiction enjoy my books because it is about characters and how they're feeling and what what drives them and what moves them from place to place. And, you know, why are they doing the things that they're doing? And so if you enjoy getting to know a character, then you'll like my books. If you're if you're more into, I, I would be a terrible fantasy writer. Horrible, horrible. Because there's all the world building and, right. and it matters. And all of that, like, I was talking with someone the other day and they, they write fantasy and they had this whole argument over time travel <laughs> and whether, you know, certain things could happen in a world and it still be valid and I just, it was an interesting conversation for the moment, but I wouldn't want to write that because that's too, I love historical fiction. I already have my setting. Right. You know, this one's World War II. I know this. We, I can look stuff up. I can bring in the right facts to help my book, you know, have the pop that I need it to have. And I don't have to build a world. And so that's just not, that's not my strength at all. So I really like the kind of writing that I do. So definitely, like I said earlier, it's, it's easy to read and easy to follow. And that's the best, uh, best books to pick up and read. Cause you, you go right through them as quick as, as quick as you can understand it and go through it. Right. If you don't like it, you're going to keep putting it down and come back to it later and later and later and probably never finish it. And never get to the end of it. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you come back later when the movie comes out oh that's what happens great <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's funny i've had um, a lot of people talk with me about um like what is the right way to write or and it's like there isn't there's as many different kinds of readers as there are authors and right. you know um what what really sends me doesn't send other people and that's okay you know i'm a firm believer in pick up my book if it really isn't for you you know, pass it on to someone who you think might enjoy right. that style and then go find another book that is your style and read that, you know, and and support those authors that that write the kinds of things that really make you want to read. And if you're like I said, if you enjoy character driven fiction, especially in a historical fiction setting, then I'm probably the author for you. If you like, you know, fantasy or sci fi or or the like young adult dystopian type stuff, you're probably not going to enjoy my book, but it doesn't mean that I'm not a good author. It means that I'm not a good author for you, you know? Right. And so, yeah. It's definitely true. And, and Terry, I know you're booking up pretty quick now as you're getting in your marketing scheme here for this. How would someone get in contact with you to maybe get you on their show as you lean into the, the release or even just to chat with you about writing? Yeah. So, I mean, or chat with me about books in general or anything. I love to talk with people about the craft of writing, uh, the marketing that goes into it, or, you know, booking me to, to come and talk. So the easiest way I think would be to go to my website and that's www.terrymbrown.com. And that's Terry with one R. 
Um, so terrymbrown.com. And I have a, you can get on my newsletter there. I have a contact page that you can go to. So if you go to the contact page, fill out, you know, ask me a question, send it to me, then I'll start writing you back and forth from the email address that you provide to me. And, you know, feel free to reach out that way. Uh, you can also just straight up uh, email me and it's terry at terrymbrown.com. So. Awesome. Terry, again, thanks for joining us here on the Misfit Nation. Thank you. I'm this year. And you'll also be on in the beginning of season three on our audio side. So it'd be great to have you on there and launch an enemy like me. Good luck to you with that. And thank you uh, so much. All the marketing works out for you here and both books pick up from this marketing and drive forward into your third book, which we'll have you on at the end of the year for that one. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Awesome. Everyone get out there and pre-order an enemy like me on Amazon. And uh, the website's going across the bottom of the screen now, and it'll be in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 